You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, it had everything you'd expect of a really emotional airport farewell. There were hugs, there were tears, there were those intense looks of anguish. Uh, some of us have done enough uh, airport farewells to know what, what they are all about. And they're pretty difficult. I find airports very sad places if you get to see that sort of farewell. This had everything that you'd expect except one thing. There were no words. I was observing at Melbourne Airport many years ago, I was observing a group of people, mainly young people, whom I concluded had profound hearing difficulties because everything was being done in sign language. Now, Michael Thomas is an expert in sign language, so he could actually give this message in sign language. I'm not going to go any further because I could be unwittingly saying some very inappropriate things, Michael, with what I'm even doing here right now. But, you know, it was just an amazing moment. And just as an aside, it made me sort of reflect on the value of words and the gift of speech and how special that gift is and how sadly so many people abuse the gift of speech and so easily fall into words that are destructive, words that are hurtful, words that are harmful and critical. Speech is a beautiful gift. We must never abuse that. Well, back to, back to farewelling. Um, some of you here at Northside have said farewell to family members and friends uh, on the other side of the world, and uh, you, you know what that's like. And if you've left family and you've left friends in various parts of the world, and if in some cases you don't know when you're going to see them again, or if you're going to see them again, if you're in that category, then you can relate to the, the pain and the reality of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Look at it again. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, your father's home, and go to a land I am going to show you. Now, guys, the call of God to Abraham was huge. It was a massive call. It represented an incredible move for this very wealthy shepherd and his family who called Ur, the city of Ur. Imagine living in a place called Ur. Where are you from? Uh, I, I know that, but like, where are you from? Well, it's Ur. You know, like sort of, if you have a tendency to, to sort of... Um, you know, to um and ah, it'd be a real problem. Uh, well, this, this call, let's face it, this call set the foundation for some of the greatest religious and uh, cultural movements the world has ever known. I mean, Abraham is a revered figure in three of the world's great religions, Christianity, Judaism, and of course, Islam. And in our faith, he enjoys legendary status. He's mentioned 104 times in the Old Testament, 50 times in the New Testament. And, and whilst none of us will ever experience a call of God like, like his, there are some similarities. There are some features that we can experience when God's call to service, to witness, to, to faithfulness, when that call hits us, we can draw some similarities from the experience of Abraham. You see, like the call to Abraham, God's call to us is, to state the obvious, it's a call to live by faith. It's a call to live by faith. And Abraham and his family were called upon to exercise huge levels of faith and trust. You think about it. When somebody is contemplating a move 
to another country. We've had much of that here at Northside, too much from our point of view, ministry point of view, losing all these good people. But when that happens, people explore the country to which they are going, irrespective of whether it's to go be with family or go on a because of a job promotion or whatever. I mean, you really research the country you're going to. Most people check the living conditions. They check the political and the the social framework of the country, might even check the weather patterns, just to be sure they're going to be happy and comfortable in this new country they're going to call home. Well, let's face it, there are some countries in the world, some parts of the world you wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't even want to visit, let alone reside in. Well, Abraham didn't have a chance to contact the embassy. Uh, he, he didn't bring up Flight Centre. Uh, he couldn't go onto Google because verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12 says, let me refresh your memory. God says, leave your country, your relatives, your father's home and go to a land that I am going to show you. This is going to be a progressive revelation, Abraham. You you have no idea what you are in for at this stage. It's like a a magical mystery tour. It's going to require high levels of faith and trust in me. This is what God's saying. And this is why Abraham is listed among the great heroes of the faith. He's a legend. And he's there prominently mentioned in that great chapter of biblical heroes, Hebrews chapter 11. I know a favourite chapter for many of you. Uh, Look at verses 8 to 10 of Hebrews 11. Here's the mention Abraham gets. It was faith that called Abraham to obey when God called him to go out out of the country which God had promised to give to him, to go to a country which God had promised to give to him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham lived as a foreigner in the country that God had promised him. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who received the same promise from God. Guys, you know, we will never experience the fullness of God in our lives through Jesus until we've known what it is to take a journey. I'm not necessarily referring to a journey that can be measured in kilometres. I'm talking about a journey into service, a journey into some form of ministry, whether here in the church or out in the community, a journey into financial generosity, And that's been a journey for some of you. A journey into the care and the support of others. A journey into leadership. Hardly a day goes by that I don't praise God for placing me here at a time when I had the opportunity to lead a vast team of people who helped to build this ministry complex. Because although at the time it was the last thing on my mind or something I was quite fearful of, I'm so glad that God placed me here for that particular journey. It was one I tried to avoid, but looking back, I realise now that the leadership lessons that were learned, the spiritual knowledge that was acquired and the mental and emotional resilience that was developed on that journey, and I know that was the case for many of you. I look back and I realise that's exactly where I was meant to be and now I'm ready for anything that a local church actually can kind of put before me because I've seen most of it already in the magnitude of this particular project. Look, friends, it's easy to operate, would you agree, within the limitations of our comfort zone. That's where we all prefer to be. 
that's nice. That's safe. That's secure. That doesn't require a lot of faith. That's the familiar. That's our preferred option. But let's recall the first verse of Hebrews 11. This great chapter on faith, what does it say? To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things, glaringly obvious? No, of the things we cannot see. You know, I love it when I get emails and letters and have a chance to talk to people face to face and it happens pretty frequently. When people say to me something like, Graham, thank you for nudging me. Thank you for pushing me into this or that, whatever they're talking about. Usually some form of ministry, some challenge that we've spoken about that they have now grasped and they look back and they're saying thank you for giving me a little bit of a push because I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. It was a huge step of faith. This church is we're surrounded on any given Sunday, on any given day as our ministries take shape. We're surrounded by people for whom this is their story. Thank you for pushing me into the faith realm because I realise now it's exactly what I needed and, and God's working through me. I mean, this Madagascar team, for some of these guys, as has been acknowledged already, first time into a developing nation. And those of us who've been to a developing nation, and, and there are numbers of you, know what that's like. I think back on my own visit to India in the late 90s. I mean, you can watch the documentaries and you can think that you've got a, a, a pretty clear idea as to what you're heading for. But the difference is, in my experience, in the slums of Bombay, there's no ad break. And like you don't flick to modern family at the end of the doco to kind of give you a bit of light relief. Like that's it, you're, you're in there 24-7. And it's very, very confronting. The call of God, and we've seen it this morning with these guys, is a call to live by faith. But as it was with Abraham, so it is for us. It's also a call to increase. I mean, in the case of Abraham, it was a, it was a literal increase of, of people, a physical increase of people. Verse 2, I will give you many descendants and they'll become a great nation. And later in Genesis 22, verse 17, when Abraham passes the test with his son Isaac, you know, he's prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac and God holds his hand, he passes the test. And that's when God says to him, I'm going to give you descendants that are going to be like the grains of sand on the seashore. I mean, it's a beautiful analogy. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. You can't count them. That's where you're heading, Abraham. That's what I'm preparing for you. What is the principle here? Friends, I believe it's the, it's the, it's the spiritual principle of duplication and reproduction. God wants us to grow individually. He wants his church to grow. And, and over the years, I've always been very strongly motivated in my ministry by the belief that as a church gets larger and as it attracts more people to its worshipping congregation and as the resources are increased, so that church can do more to make a difference. It doesn't mean to say that you know, the bigger the church, the better necessarily, but, but as you grow, where churches are, 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 I believe, duty-bound to grow based on the Scriptures. Because it increases your ability to impact a community, provided there is a proviso, provided those people and those resources are being challenged to lay it all before God, provided they're being challenged like the song says to surrender all. I look back with a certain amount of dismay to some of my very early days in ministry and the battles, I guess you have to call them battles, hard to believe, I was a bit feisty in my early days, um, the battles that I had with key leaders as I tried to initiate strategies and ministries that were designed to 
make a greater impact on the community and hopefully kind of build more people into the church. I've been called into the ministry with one specific mandate to build a great church. That, that's what motivated me and always has motivate, motivated me in ministry, to build a great church. And I could go into a great lengthy definition of what that means. And it's a lot more than numbers, let me tell you that. But to build a great church. And so I've been called and I was amazed that everybody else didn't share that vision. I was a little bit green, a little bit naive. <laughs> but I found people didn't necessarily want to see the church grow. They were very comfortable with the church at a certain size because they knew everybody. And it was, you know, you don't ever know who you're going to attract if you go really out there. And I went through all of that in my early days with looking back with some really quite humorous moments. They weren't that funny at the time. Um, but it was then that God told me the second thing about this principle of duplication and reproduction. And that is you sometimes have to stay. You have to stay for a while so that people will understand what this all means. You see, friends, when we talk about increase, we're talking about an increase in our capacity to understand how God works and what his will is for his church, an increase in our ability to develop a vision of what's possible when the Holy Spirit is free to lead and to guide, an increase in our willingness to surrender and to allow ourselves to be motivated and inspired by the thought of what God might do through us. This is the kind of thing that that the church really needs in this area of increase. And that's when I became, as I said a moment ago, convicted about the need for a long-term ministry. You've got to stay around sometimes to help build the culture, to help build the expectation, to, to help people to, to see what this is all about, to shape their thinking and to prepare them for the journey of faith. And that's why I've only been in, in two churches in 32 years because I've learned that that's one way of of achieving that outcome where we don't have any issues now with initiatives to minister more effectively into the community. I haven't spoken to anybody in a decade here who says, well, Graham, church getting a bit big, isn't it? I had those conversations early, but there's a culture here now where that just wouldn't even be an issue. I like to think that Paul might have been on the same journey, the same leadership journey, when he wrote to the Ephesian churches, and it's recorded in the first chapter of, of Ephesians and verses 18 to 20, this is, this is my understanding of Paul seeking to increase the thinking and the faith of the Ephesian Christians. Listen to this. He says, I ask that your minds may be opened. That's the starting point. Open to see his light so that you know what is the hope to which he's called you. How rich are the wonderful blessings he promises his people. And how very great is his power at work in us who believe. This power working in us is the same as the mighty strength which he used when he raised Christ from death. I've got to think Paul was on that same journey. Yes, the call of God is invariably a call to increase. Not just numerically, but to increase our understanding, our capacity to respond to the bidding of God, to the call of God. And friends, it's also a call to bless. I mean, God said to Abraham, verse 2, I will bless you. And make your name famous so that you will be a blessing. Now, of course, we we know this is a reference to the fact that it was through the Israelite nation that the Messiah was born. And in that way, Abraham, the Israelites, were a blessing to the entire world. But, you know, there's another aspect to the blessing 
that the Israelites were intended to make on the world. And it's recorded in Isaiah. And we could expand on this if we had time. But it's Isaiah 49 verse 6. And in this verse, the prophet refers to the calling on Israel to be a light to the nations. A light to the nations. A kind of a moral and a spiritual guidepost for the entire world. Now, friends, they never fully aspired to that calling. Never quite got there. If you trace their history, it's a series of of, uh, moments of unfaithfulness, of disobedience, of going right off the rails, worshipping other gods and so on. It's 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 a pretty sad story in many ways. Yes, they had their moments of brilliance. No question. And yes, the Messiah did come through their lineage. In that sense, they were a blessing. But what does John say? And this has got to be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He came to his own. But his own received him not. They missed the mark. They were not that light to the nations that they had been destined for. Sadly, the ancient Israelites didn't fully realize their calling to be a blessing. But you know, there are very few things sadder than a church that revels in the reality of being blessed, but fails to be a blessing to others. There are very few things sadder than meeting a Christian who's been blessed with giftedness and with resources, but who hasn't caught the vision of being a blessing to others. I find sometimes they're fairly angry and fairly uptight and fairly judgmental. That's just been my experience. That's not how it's meant to be. Speaking of churches that failed to grasp the, the vision, you know, there's a church in another state and I was asked to go down there a few years ago to talk about our project here. They have been given the opportunity. I say have, it's still current. I'll be sharing with their minister at the senior minister's conference this week. I'm expecting some late night chats because this church, having been a blessing during 150 years of history, having been a great blessing to a, a community on the outskirts of their city, were given the opportunity to do exactly what we've done here. To, be, to, to partner with a developer to build, a hu- in their case, a huge building, to be given a, a massive new church on the lower level and wait for it, money in the bank. Really hate that part. But, uh, you know. And I went down there and the resistance, whoa, was palpable. And that was three or four years ago. And my colleague is still working in that setting. And it was really humorous at one point because I showed a DVD about Northside. And, and the DVD featured at the old warehouse here on this site. You know. And a guy got up during the question time. He said, you know what? I can see why you want to knock that building down. But we're not knocking this one down. <laughs> it was an extraordinary comment. Because that's the blockage in this church. It's, it's a love affair with the building. And it's a nice building, I'll agree. It's a nice building, but it's just a building. It's just a building. And so this church, and guys, it made me think, look, I don't know what would have happened to Grand Agnew if Northside had said no to this proposal. To be honest, I never really thought about it because, well, I mean, I thought about it, but not in any great depth because there was such a momentum here. And you guys have been prepared for, for blessing. And you've been, you've been prepared for innovation and change by my predecessor, Jay Bassick. I mean, you'd already suffered the pain of, of saying farewell to three church buildings. 
you'd seen one of them demolished, at least one. You'd already, you'd already been through that sort of pain. You, you knew, you'd broken through knowing that the church is more than a building. These guys in this other state, and I'll be sharing with the senior minister this week, they are still, some of them, hung up on the church as a building. It's been, that building has blessed many, but now there's a chance to bless more. And they're dropping short. And I really feel for this guy and I feel for that church. There's very few things sadder than a church having been blessed that now can't get the vision to see how they can be a further blessing to others. You see, Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given shall much be required. He talks about, you know, we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. It's, it's, it's not just all self. This is, this is flowing stuff. It's blessed to be a blessing. When God calls his people, when he calls his church, that call invariably means someone, somewhere, somehow is going to be blessed. There's going to be transformation. Something great's going to happen. That's what we're celebrating today with, with Madagascar. Somebody's going to be blessed. They're going to experience something of the love, the grace, the compassion, the mercy, the justice of Almighty God. And friends, that desire to be a blessing really is at the heart of everything we do here at Northside. You, you put it all back. Why are we in business? We want to be a blessing. We want to minister. That's certainly at the heart of, our, of the motivation for us to return to Madagascar. We want to be a blessing. We want to serve. We want to make a difference. We want to learn as well. So the call of God to Abraham was huge. It was to shape the cultural and religious destinies of countless millions of people, even to this day. In that sense, it's hard for us to relate our calling in Christ to the experience of Abraham. I mean, what, what, what can you draw from this guy compared to us? He's up there, we're, we're kind of like down here. But you know, as followers of Jesus, there's a calling on our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a calling on your life right here and now, irrespective of the vocation you're in, irrespective of the amount of gifts you have or may not have. There's a calling on your life and on my life. Yes, it's a call to live by faith. Yes, it's a call to increase, to expand and to, to sort of develop our capacity. Yes, it's a call to bless. But more than that, our calling in Christ is ultimately the sharing of a message. The sharing of a lifestyle. That's our calling, which calls people from life strains to rest. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's, that's a huge part of our calling to share that message. It's also a call from bondage to liberty. Jesus said, if the son makes you free, you will be really free, free from the pain of sin, free from the guilt of sin, free to become the person God intends you to become. That's a message we're called to share. It's a lifestyle we're called to share. It's also we're called from, to, to, to tell people that they can move from darkness to light. First Peter 2.9 actually puts it in these terms. We've been called, says the word, out of darkness, spiritual darkness, into his marvellous light. And finally, we're called and are calling people from death to life. What did Jesus say? Those who believe in me will never die. Now friends, this is a life-changing message. It's our calling. If you've embraced Jesus Christ, that is your inheritance. And that is our calling to share that message. It's so much easier just to stay in the comfort zone. Yeah, my friends, I think they think they kind of know I've got a, I'm a little different. I think they kind of know why, where. Do they really? Do they really know why you're different? 
Is it time we all moved out of our comfort zones to just look for and grasp opportunities to share both verbally and in lifestyle what we're called to? The message, the reality, the life-transforming difference Jesus Christ can make. It's much easier to stay in the comfort zone. My prayer is that based on the call of Abraham and the calling of these guys, we'll all get a bit more serious about the mission field. I know I need to. If you do, let's pray that God will give us the strength to do that. Let's join him, shall we?